You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. climate is completely destroyed by those trying to right it, the world turns into a frozen wasteland, and the only survivors being those lucky enough to board a train on time. Snowpiercer, based on the graphic novel Le Transpersonnage, and directed by the host director John Hobong, isn't happy simply being a sci-fi action flick. It's a dystopian, post-apocalyptic film, which preaches an environmental cause, class uprising, as well as the horrors and cruelty of mankind, as if Hollywood would ever let us forget this. And while critics were incredibly impressed with the film, often quoting the I know what babies taste like line, many audience members simply sat back at that point, not nearly as impressed, just wanting Curtis to get on with his little pity party and breach the damn engine door. Now, as I mentioned, critics love the film, scoring it at an incredible 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and 84% on Metacritic. However, audiences were nowhere near as impressed. Certainly, it still scored favorably, however, at a more realistic 77% on Rotten Tomatoes and 7.1 out of 10 on Metacritic. Now, before we get into the plot and specifics of the film, you're the one who suggested this one, Vince. What was your overall impression? I really enjoyed it. Like, it was a very different film. It's in a lot of ways separate from what we see normally in Hollywood being a foreign made film that wasn't really accepted by the Hollywood machine. So taking something like that and giving it an interesting premise and filling it with great actors, I was entirely on board for that. Excuse the terrible the pun. Terrible pun. I was waiting for something. I was halfway like that, through saying it before when my brain went abort, but abort. it was too late. <laughs> You're saying something different, though. You're saying that it's different than the norm. How how so? I don't want to sound like I'm bashing right off the bat. However, I will say point blank, I'm not in that 95%, certainly. And 77% for me personally, I even think that's a little high. Wow. So I'm not going to be bashing it, but I do have some issues with a lot of it. Some of it was quite enjoyable and... And again, the good acting does make a difference. However, I do have some issues. We'll get into that later. But just from your perspective, what did you see that was so original about it? Just generally the structure of the movie and how it honestly like doesn't insult the intelligence of the viewer, if you will. Because one of the reasons it didn't get a major theatrical release here in America was uh, the Weinsteins who had bought the rights to it wanted to edit out large chunks at the beginning of the end and replace it with just like a narrative voiceover basically to explain to your typical average American moviegoer exactly what's going on. So when the director pushed back against that, that's why it didn't receive much of a release. It just released in a few, you know, art house areas and then got its uh, on-demand release. So just, just that where it assumes that the viewer is paying enough attention that when things are revealed they can put two and two together without really having the movie hold their hand like most major hollywood releases do 
See, the thing with that argument, though, is that I'm trying to think of an analogy that will make sense with what – with what's going on in my brain right now. <laughs> so just to explain it, it's it's as if you're saying it's it's good because it didn't go that route of explaining. However, that just because the explanation is not, you know, would have pandered to the less intelligent who just aren't picking it up, I don't feel that without it it's that hard to pick up anyway. The the film is... Maybe it, not for you and me, but again, you have to remember what at least Hollywood's perception of the average American filmgoer is. Yeah, but, and see, that's the problem. Their perception is a lot lower than the reality. Yes, I am giving a compliment to North American audiences. <laughs> like their perception being that we have to explain everything doesn't make it so. That doesn't mean that the average audience member would not or did not get this without the explanation. And I feel that the movie is, yes, in a very stylized way, it is still on a very high soapbox shoving its, you know, important messages and, and themes and everything down your throat. There's no subtlety. So I won't argue that. It no. definitely doesn't need any voiceover. Like if the fist is already down your throat, sh- jamming down the point of the movie and, and the analogy of how terrible humankind is, you don't need a voiceover explaining it while the fist is in your throat. And so that to me is a large problem that I had with the film. And I think that a lot of the reason for that is because again it was done in this highly stylized fashion which we see in a lot of you know whether it's a korean film or something like that it's highly stylized beautiful in that regard great camera angles scene setups and things like that but the message is so freaking in your face that you don't get to enjoy the subtleties of the film because again it's like just hammered home and and that's something that i i again i just could not get behind i wouldn't say for me it overshadowed the rest it was it was there at all times but i was still perfectly capable to appreciate you know the action sequences and the characters and the acting and some of the absolute bizarre scenarios that the movie presented and see and see (laughs) again it's gonna sound like i'm being negative and in a way i am I don't want to make it sound like I, I absolutely detested the film. Not at all. I, I did enjoy the run. But I were had I not seen the the all of the, the ratings and all that, and I haven't bothered reading the actual reviews. I read a few here and there, but not all of them, of course. And had I not seen that beforehand and just watched the film, I would have come out of it thinking what I do now. And then I would have been shocked when I saw the reviews and gone, did we watch the same movie? And that's what it was while I was watching. Because, again, I'm I'm running through the thing through my head as I'm watching it. I'm going, what were people wigging out about? Because the reveals, again, I'm using these damn air quotes as if everybody can see them. The reveals were so in your face the entire time that. There's no shock to it. Like I said, by the time that he is at the door and they're making such a huge deal and he crashes down into his little pity party, which came out of nowhere. Let's be honest here. 
the big speech is like, oh, come on, dude. We we get it. We we could put two and two together. We saw what was going on back there. It's and the, and the big deal with the kids too in the engine room. You're like, come on, what? Seriously, what else would they be there for? It's it's kind of it wasn't obvious. the first thing my mind jumped to. To be perfectly well, honest, it was one of two things. Let's put it that way. So because there was no subtlety to the movie the big reveals don't have the impact that they would have had otherwise. I, I don't know. For me, it was a lot more effective. Like, I don't know. Maybe I just got a little more engrossed with some of the misdirection. Like, I don't, we're not going to jump straight to the plot points at the end of the movie, but how we saw at the beginning, uh, Gilliam, you know, was missing limbs and they showed us the punishment that revolutionaries get. So that when it came to the end and twisted around that, I had always assumed, you know, he got his arm frozen off and whatnot. But when they revealed the actual true reason behind it, it did take me by surprise because I, at that point, had a completely different assumption of what was going on. I had not, you know, put it all together, but based on the little things here and there, it kind of, I saw it. Especially See, when I thought he made... I had put it together, but I put it together in the wrong way. So I don't know if that's me. You or the movie, so yeah. I, I really can't tell you. Well, when he's making the point, too, that how can you be a leader without with two arms kind of thing and, and whatnot. Anyways, the, the plot for uh, – spoilers, as always, folks, as if we haven't already spoiled stuff, but <laughs> just, just so that we could say the warning was there. As I said, this is set in a future, although it's not too far – in in our future, it's actually set in what is it? Uh, 2031, I believe, is what it's set in. It's uh, 17 years down the line, and in trying to rectify the climate problems with the world, they actually made it worse and froze the entire planet. Which, again, it's a premise you have to really run with at this point because don't try to make sense of stuff like this, and. Somebody built a train that could go on forever and also – He was a visionary, Roger. He was a – yeah. You're not truly appreciating his genius. <laughs> you need Ed, to pay attention to the school scene again. Ed here, Harris is a genius. Uh, <laughs> now, again, and this is again where you have to like let it go of things and just run with it. There's a track that he built as well that goes around the entire freaking – world and and coincidentally does so in one full calendar year i did like the kind of the the scene over the bridge where they mark the mm -hmm. passage of the year when they go over the bridge i thought that was that was well done it was especially cool. given the timing of it how they stopped the fight to have yeah. a new year celebration that, that was i wasn't yeah. although truth be told as i'm watching it my initial reaction was i'm sorry but you're freaking going through this uprising you've been oppressed for 17 years had to eat bob and his friends and different babies <laughs> you're not going to stop here to honor a a new year but then in the back of my head i'm thinking well the allied troops and the nazis did at different times of course they also threw over bombs but that's plus you also have to think of it you know it's a behavior that's been ingrained to them it's yeah. almost like subconscious at this point if you if you look at it that way yeah and the other thing too was that the uprising lower class people had not had the opportunity to actually look outside that much 
So the wonderment of seeing different things is what kind of slowed some of them down. So I, again, I could appreciate something. So anyway, so we have this train now that goes around the world and just never, ever stops. And it, the Snowpiercer name comes from it actually, of course, there's avalanches and all manner of different things that block the railway, but it was designed in such a way that it could go through. And it's a perpetual engine that just never stops. And so the and the, the, the train has developed over the years. It sounds like it was pretty damn fast too. A class system from the people who just kind of stowed away and were stuffed at the back of the train in, in a cart and left to their own devices through the middle class and then the upper ranks. And you get to see that as the lower class people led by Curtis, who's played by Chris Evans, make their way to the front of the train. So it's, it's, can I say for a moment, just how weird it is to hear Captain America cursing. (laughs) You know, what's funny. He's dropping F bombs. And I was like shocked. I was like, no, <laughs> I actually, as I was watching it, I thought that he looked different enough and he was doing a, a good enough job with the role that I didn't see Cap at all throughout the whole movie. Oh, no, I, I didn't. It was just I it's, you know, that subconscious thing, you know, it's Captain America. Yeah. So when he's doing certain things, it's it's weird. Like, it's not it's not a negative. It was just a little weird. <laughs> so so anyway, so throughout all of this now, you you have this band that is working their way up they they quote unquote liberate a security expert who is also a drug addict and his daughter who gives them a hand opening different doors i did like the scene where they put together all of the barrels right off the bat at the start there Mm -hmm. to keep the doors open to get through that was incredibly well filmed i mean when you're looking at all the the balls in the air there when they're doing that scene it was really well done. Likewise with the big battle where the lights go out when they go through the tunnel there and they have the relay race with the fire to get through incredibly well filmed. Like the cinematography in this film is, is exceptional, really well done. It, I, I absolutely agree. And it's even more impressive when you think of just how cramped a lot of yeah. the sets had to be, yeah. you know, if, if you're filming inside of a train, well, you're inside of a train. You got to fit a camera somewhere. So yeah, it, technically it was a very impressive movie. Yeah. So, and then again, this, this security expert, um, Kang Hong song, um, and his daughter, I can't remember her name. Uh, oh my God. I'm going to, Yona. Blow. Okay. So we'll go with that. I was going to say her real name, but Ah Sung Ko. Um, they were both very, very good there. They, um, the, the, of course they're, they're working with a Korean director. So they, they were bright on pitch for everything. They were very, very good. And, and again, playing these drug addicts and, and not just drug addicts, but a father and, and, and daughter drug addict. And which is hard to pull off because again, you've got the, the paternal father there that would have more of a, by nature want to protect, but because they're drug addicts, it's, you know, well, sharing drugs. I thought they were very good. And then mm-hmm. the other really good one, obviously which to me and to many stole the show was Tilda Swinton who plays Mason, the character that is essentially Wilford's right-hand woman. And it was supposed to be a man initially, actually, which is why they still have some lines throughout the show where they referred to her as a him. And they kept those in. But because of the mystery of, you know, who this person is and whatnot. But 
she just stole the show. And it would have been so easy to go so far off mark and would have turned the character into a parody. But she reins it in just enough that it's it's wild and reckless and and bizarre, but still makes sense. And she was just beginning to end phenomenal in the role. Yeah, without a doubt, best character in the film. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head perfectly, the balance with the character, because it still had to be someone we could hate. And taking it too far would have made it comical. And as viewers, we, we wouldn't have had that distaste for her as a villainous character. So, yeah, great, great acting job. By far the standout. But it, what's cool, too, is that as much as you have that distaste, you want to see more of her. Oh, yeah. And that's that fine balance because it would have been so easy to be someone that you're thinking, just put a bullet in her brain pan and let's be done with this. But you don't want to. You're hoping they're not going to kill her and bring her along. Like when they're having the scene where they, at that point, they've captured her and they are sitting at the sushi bar of all (laughs) things. And you have this phenomenal decor where they put the 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 tank in that one car and and it's so surreal which is what of course they were he was going for the director and they're just sitting down eating this sushi that would have gone for you know hundreds of dollars a plate before the freezing and they're just sitting here having this meal and and he makes her eat instead the the supplement thing bars that they'd been fed all along it was just a fantastic scene. Those were my favorite points in the film where they have that weird disconnect between their surroundings and the setting and what's actually going on. Like the, the sushi car, the school yeah. was probably my favorite part of the entire movie just because of how weird and out of touch it was. But it's, the, it's that juxtaposition that really made a lot of these things work well. What I equated it to is when you have the action films, and it happened in, in Spider-Man, where you have the action films and tons and tons of actions, and then all of a sudden you have that scene where they're all in the elevator. <laughs> and it's like paused, <laughs> and the music's gone, and then they, they, as soon as the door's open, boom, action again. And it was that kind of thing that I thought. It's just, it's, it's non-stop, and then boom, they get into a cart where it's like, what the hell is going on here? And it's that weird disconnect. But as soon as they're through the next cart, the action starts up again. So it, it, by virtue of the fact that it took place in a train, you had all of the ability to do that with any and every train. Yeah. So they proceed through, you get a variety of different battles. There's, they, they try to do a twist thing on the, um, the, the controlling police force, for lack of a better term, security forces, had run out of bullets a long time ago. And so this allows then the lower class folks to to take a little bit more control. And I was really disappointed when they revealed that, oh, no, we do have bullets. It's like, yeah, that, you were doing well with them not having any. It made sense as well. Why would your security forces be walking around without them if they have if you have some? Oh, I, I guess it kind of plays into the uh, the conspiracy that we find out at the end between Gilliam and Willard. So it it wasn't great, but I didn't hate it either. Hmm. So, anyways, at, at the very beginning as well, you do see a few of the kids are are taken and. 
brought to the front of the train. You don't know why, and you find that out later on. No point really spoiling that. Although, again, I thought it was fairly obvious and written on the wall. The Took me by surprise. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I had two ideas in mind, and neither of them were very good, but neither of them was the reveal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, they do make it to the front, although as per usual in this type of film, not many survive to, to make it to the end. And of course, Curtis being the lead character has got to make it through to the end. This is the second time this week I can equate something to The Raid, (laughs) which now makes me realize we probably need to talk about those movies at some point because it's the same setup. You know, you, you you have your goal, but you have to get through all the various things in the middle to get there. And, you know, an apartment building and a train, it's fairly similar. And same thing is you have so many losses along. It just it's the same formula and it works so well every time. Except instead of vertical, it was horizontal. Yeah. That's the main difference. See, I thought that the raid was done much better and handled better in terms of the believability of the character, the believability of the scenes and different things like that. Oh, uh, there was, I, there was far too much in this that I kind of went, eh, and, and just didn't work. And for me, one of the biggest things was that while the character of Curtis has a lot of self-doubt throughout the movie and things like that. But he's also quite obviously driven to get to the front and to work towards equality for everybody on the, the train. That breakdown at the door, to me, made no sense and came out of nowhere. And it's a huge part of the film. It's huge. And that's where he does the whole reveal of the cannibalism and everything else. But... It just, it was a drop from how he'd been literally a few minutes ago. And then, boom, all of a sudden he's a depressed, crying, you know, guy, depressed guy who's opening up his soul to this security expert. And it it just did not fit at all. In a vacuum, in and of itself, I enjoyed the scene, but I have to agree it did not fit with the rest of the movie. Yeah. And whenever something like that happens, at least for me again, it's very hard then to get back into it. So at that point, he gets in and he's talking, you know, with Wilford. And to me, again, it was one of those things where I'm still hung up on the fact that he should not be this shaken up. And then they keep playing on that. Not as much while he's having dinner with Wilford, but while he's at the very front there. And he's like in tears and wigging out because he's looking at the engine. And I'm thinking, again, that drop in in drive and in stability just did not work for me at all at all. So then the entire thing afterwards, and of course the sacrifice that he makes, which was ridiculous. Look at how many freaking things he could have used. It just doesn't, for me it didn't fit. It didn't, it didn't work at all. It was a lot of things that worked symbolically, but not necessarily logically. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, again, what I was going at with the very beginning, where it's all about the themes in the show and being stylish in how you're doing it. But it doesn't always make sense to the viewer. And I, when I say it doesn't make sense, it's not like, oh, I don't get what he's trying to say. No, it's just like it could have been done so much better. And it doesn't stick with what the character would do at that point, at least not the character that we've seen. I didn't actually read the graphic novel. I don't know if you have. My French isn't too good. 
it, was it not translated? I, I've I never would. heard of it before I saw this movie, so okay. I don't know. I'm going to be hunting that out and seeing if I could read it and see just how many differences were done, were, were made from, uh, from, concept, from concept to, uh, to movie because I want to see if it was better handled. Because, again, you have a lot of the, 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 the characters which struck me as very stereotypical as well, like, um, like Mason's right-hand man who is such a stereotype of an enforcer that can't die and just keeps coming back as well. <laughs> There's actually, because a, a, I was reading up some, some writings on the movie, there's a significant portion of the viewers who are convinced that Franco, who's uh, that guy, as well as, uh, what's her name, the woman in yellow, weren't even human. And honestly, when you look at it, they might not be wrong. <laughs> yeah. it, it just, yeah... And whenever you see that kind of thing where it's the stereotypical enforcer, you're like, oh, come on. So I like, again, looking at the, the scene where the train is, has wound around a path so that he's shooting through his window and hitting the other window on the other side where the Curtis is and his people. And you're like, I know what you're going for in terms of style. But it's not working and it doesn't make any freaking sense whatsoever. The only thing that bothered me about that was I could have believed Franco could have made that shot. Not necessarily Curtis. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, when's the last time he ever, ever, if ever, handled a gun? Yeah. He got on the train when he was 17. (laughs) The the worst he's done is hold up a knife to steal somebody's baby. So, I mean, come on. (laughs) So... there, like I said, there were a lot of things that I enjoyed. The the you you can't knock the cinematography at all. It was bar none amazing. The set effects, the set design, everything was outstanding. The acting overall was quite good. Some of the reveals were good, although some I saw coming and I felt again that they'd been shoved down our throats so hard that you couldn't help but see them coming and then not care when it actually happens. That said, looking just at the ending, you have again, the the raid, it's such a ride to the end. And for me, from the moment that he crouched down and was having that last cigarette and is given his little pity party speech, it, it just, (laughs) the movie went flaccid. (laughs) And that was it. And I just could not get into it. Man, bad puns. <laughs> wow. At all from that point forward. And it, that's supposed to be the the the, the, the climax. <laughs> you are terrible. Stop it. <laughs> you're the one that started. These are better than yours. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're, you're doing this on purpose at this point. So... So yeah, so again, I, obviously you didn't feel the same. You were right into it until the end. I I, I will admit. Oh my god! <laughs> Let me know when you're done. Anytime. I will admit that 
dramatically, the the climax did fall a bit short. But again, for me, I was just so into the setup that they were presenting that a lot of the big reveals did catch me by surprise. Like, I don't know. It I don't know if that makes me dumber than you or <laughs> you know, maybe you you overanalyze. I, I I don't know where the fault lies, but I was a lot more into it than you were. I'll admit that Again, from an action movie standpoint and a lot of the other things, it didn't have that big final moment that we need. Honestly, the thing that bothered me the most is everybody's got to be dead, right? Yeah. Well, except for those two. You you end this movie on this hopeful note, but everybody's dead. And see, that's the thing, too. The hopeful note. To me, I'm watching this. And this is another big issue that I had with the film. Now, I understand that you have to let go a lot when you're watching this type of movie and just roll with it. I I understand that. And most of the time, as long as the film keeps me engaged, you got me. I won't analyze you. I'll stay in it and just just don't take me for an idiot. And the problem is, is that when you have this type of movie – even though you're not going to make it a major plot line, you still have to address certain things. In a post-apocalyptic type setting like this, you have to address what are we trying to do to make it better? How are we going to fix this? Because we can't stay in a friggin' train forever. But it's never addressed. There's never any... Well, there's people at the front that are scientists that are working on seeing whether or not they can fix this. I mean, the most that you see is when they're going through one train and there's some scientists working. But they could be working towards making tastier sushi for all we know. So it's never addressed. And to me, that's huge. So then for for me, I looked at it as more of a matter of regardless of what their original intention was, the society has fallen into such a a, a niche where – you know, the, the powerful are, are happy where they are. They're perfectly happy to live out the rest of their lives on the train. So I, I looked at it more of that way of they, they really didn't need an end game. They were perfectly content with where they were, which, again, plays into the whole revolution standpoint. But it wasn't that they were perfectly content to just die out because they were still having kids and they were trying to control population so that it never exceeded whatever the thousands it was on that train – and so it wasn't that they were just, here we are, we're going to ride out the last of our days and then that'll be done. Humanity's continuing just yeah. at a very set amount. But then again, it's one of those like, you can't stay in the train forever. There's something's got to give and you have to fix what's going on out there. So when you're thinking of that and you're thinking, okay, so that means that all of this time, nobody's been working on fixing this issue. So when the end scene happens... I'm not thinking, oh, there's some hope here. No, I'm thinking they're food. <laughs> they're, they're popsicles in no time flat because they've already proven just in that other zone that the people who busted out did not make it far before they froze to death. Well, that, but then that was the whole point of uh, Minsu's speech at the end was that the earth was getting warmer. Not by that much. Because well, it was by, only not by, that by long enough of, to give you that that hopeful hopefulness that people could survive out there years after that revolution. What was it? That that one was what ten years ago, I think. Yeah, but it was only a few days, if that, that the dude's arm 
was frozen in a matter of seconds. Well, they, they also mentioned in that scene that that was also a, a subject of the altitude they were at. They did the measurements and they're like, okay, at this altitude, he'll freeze in right. 60 seconds or whatever, five minutes, yeah. whatever it was. I had a much harder problem because, again, there's no hope because two people I, I, aren't going to propagate the human race. <laughs> I, I was willing to believe, okay, the earth is warmed to a point where areas of it are now able to be habitated by a human. It's just that that particular scene where they, for all intents and purposes, are the only two human beings left alive. It's that symbolism versus realism moment, and that was the only, really one of the only times in the movie for me that the symbolism completely overshadowed the realism and kind of took me out of it. Yeah, and that was huge for me. Had they had some pictures, had some of the train cars not friggin' exploded? Yeah, show two or three other people climbing out, exactly. I would have been okay with it. Yeah, 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 that would have made a, a big difference. But as it was, I'm like, <laughs> you guys, just, just lay down in the snow now. <laughs> make, make some snow angels and wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any parting thoughts? Uh, again, I really enjoyed it. And it's something I would encourage people to check out because it's not a very well-known movie here in America. It's, you know, on Amazon and video on demand services. So it's not getting a lot of advertisement, but I still think it's a cool movie to check out. It is something that I would tell people to watch in the same way that I would tell them to watch different action flicks or sci-fi movies that are, listen, if you want to do something for fun or whatever, go ahead and watch it. But to tell people, listen, you have to watch this because, again, when when Rotten Tomatoes scores something at 95%, you're like, okay, this is a movie that you have to watch in your lifetime. It's that good. And I just can't say that. And I know that it wasn't just me either because I watched it with with my wife too and, and and our son and like it finished and my wife was like clearly not really impressed and she was like well that was a weird show <laughs> and i was like i can't disagree with you babe <laughs> well, purely from the review score standpoints i think it's kind of that indie bump if you will where oh, oh, we see on. the same thing in the game industry and even the comic industry where something that's outside of the norm and not from the major studios or you know, publishers or what have you, gets that bump in its reviews just because it's outside of the system. And see, so yeah, we're we're rounding the track, coming all the way back to the start where I'm saying because of how it was handled, I don't feel that it was that different by any stretch of the imagination than a lot of what we've already seen. It just was, it just took place on a train. And it was a lot more stylish than what we're used to seeing. But stylish doesn't make different. So, okay. Well, regardless of how different the film actually was, just the facts surrounding its American release and the way the studio system treated it made it at least functionally different. And I think that's where, again, it gets that that small bump from the reviewers just because of that fact. Mm. Okay. All right. Anyways, so make sure to check out the show notes at popcornronin.com. Let us know what you thought about the film. I'm curious if others agree with me. Going by the audience scores on both of the sites that I quoted, it would appear that many do, actually. But, again, I would like to hear from other people and see what you guys thought. So, like I said, check out the show notes and uh, let us know what you thought. And our next episode should actually be a really, really fun one. We've been talking about doing something with Steve McQueen. And so we will actually be trying to record that one a little earlier, seeing as we're a little late with this one. And that should be a lot of fun. And actually, Vince is going to be running That's why it's going to be great. There you go. I'm I'm, I'm all right with that. I I will try to derail it all the time. (laughs) Last pun of the night. With that, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. 
I hate you so much. <laughs> uh, I couldn't stop. <laughs> TV and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their comic book informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.